Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. All of this is in celebration of what Jesus has done for us. And and Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 44, we're going to just see the last few moments of Jesus as he is on the cross and exactly what transpires in those last few moments. Now, just to bring you up to speed, Jesus, of course, has already faced scourging. scourging. He's already faced uh, beatings. He has been... Uh, belittled and spat upon. He's had his beard pulled from his face. He's been lied about and condemned to death. And after having been crucified, he's been on the cross for about three hours at this point. Now, those of you who are not familiar with a cross, uh, the, the means of death on a cross are asphyxiation. And so uh, it, it is meant to, to make it to where it's impossible to breathe as you hang from your arms so to catch a breath, you have to push yourself up uh, on, on the nail through your feet and pull up on the nails in your hands and, and wrists. And in this way, you're able to catch a quick breath and then relax back down as, as much as you can relax and feel the, the searing pain in your hands. And, and it, it just gives an opportunity, though, to, to catch a breath. And so Jesus has been doing this for, for three hours Breathing in excruciating pain. And so here in the last few moments of his life on the cross, Luke tells us this, verse 44. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three, because the sun's light failed. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle. So Jesus has now been on the cross for six hours, suffering this agonizing pain of trying to breathe and And also, bearing the weight of the sins of the world while he's on the cross. You see, Jesus' death was not just an excruciating death physically, but he fully experienced the wrath of God on our behalf while upon the cross. He bore on that cross every sin you have ever committed or will commit and its consequences And so it is on the cross that the debt for sin is paid. It is on the cross that the justice of God is satisfied because of the death of Jesus Christ. So now we've had this six hours of of crucifixion. The curtain to the sanctuary is split down the middle there in the temple from between the holy place and the holy of holies. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what happened, he began to glorify God, saying, This man really was righteous. And all the crowds that had gathered for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, went home, striking their chests, a picture of despair and mourning. But all who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. So we see that Jesus' life uh, prior to, to or, or on the cross comes to a close and he has paid the price for sin and it is finished and he commends himself into the, the presence of the Father. And so we know that the work of the cross is done and Jesus' disciples are simply watching all of this transpire. Here, here they are, they know he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. They've watched him do miracle upon miracle. And yet they've entered into this moment of struggling with understanding what has happened and what will happen next. A lot of us, as we look back with hindsight, we know what's coming. But the disciples, they didn't quite remember. Now, that brings us from his death to his burial. And just a a, a quick summary of what happens is, is there was a man, Joseph of Arimathea, who was also part of the Jewish council. He... uh, got Jesus' body, they prepared him for burial, they buried him in a brand new tomb. 
which is, is significant because uh, a, a tomb, tomb that had been used before, or a, a family tomb, would have had other bodies in it. As they decomposed, the practice was to gather the bones and put them in bone boxes called ossuaries, and then to rebury the bone boxes. But this new tomb would have had no other bodies in it. So, so the only body is that of Jesus. There's no mistaking him for anyone else, like there's Uncle Leroy over there, but there's Jesus. No, no, it is simply the body of Jesus in this tomb. And, and so it was preparation day, meaning it was the day before the Sabbath. So we know that Jesus was buried Friday before sundown. Because at sundown, the Sabbath would have begun, and it would have been against Jewish standards for them to deal with his dead body. So he is buried, he is uh, prepared, the stone has been rolled in front of the tomb. And then verse 56, they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. So they finished getting ready to, to uh, wrap up his body in conclusion, and then they rested on the Sabbath. A whole day, 24 hours, sunset on Friday through sunset on Saturday. They were required by Jewish law to rest. And then what we see happening next after his burial is, of course, his resurrection. And so in chapter 24, verses 1 through 12, we see on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now remember, this is significant. It is a new tomb. His would have been the only body there. They, they, there's no easy mistaking. Well, oh, I thought he was buried over. No, he's the only body in the tomb. And now he's gone. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. <laughs> so uh, all of a sudden, all I can think is my son up here on the worship team uh, in his jacket. Uh, I, I don't know if uh, angels dress like that, but th that's dazzling, son. Um, so the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee? Saying, it is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day? And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went away amazed at what had happened. So we find that, that the disciples, the women specifically, are going to the tomb to wrap up and finish Jesus' preparation. They had not yet anointed him with all the spices and, and finery that they had intended because they had to move quickly in preparation for the Sabbath. So as they return, they find that the tomb is empty and they speak with the angel who reminds them that Jesus would die and rise again. They go back to the disciples and tell them about it. And I find this one verse to be so telling and it is this verse, but these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Can you imagine being there that day and, and, and being in the room with the disciples and, and struggling with the loss of Jesus and, and, and knowing in your mind that he is in the tomb even now, and yet someone comes to you and says, he's, he's risen, he's gone, the tomb is empty. You see, even in this moment, the, the disciples, they're struggling with the resurrection. They're wrestling with it. They don't understand. In fact, that Scripture says it was nonsense to them. Now, a lot of us, we might be struggling with the truth of the resurrection. We might think no one rises from the dead. It was probably just some sort of spiritual thing or some sort of symbolic thing. Or it's just a beautiful myth to talk about the power of God to give us new life if we're good people. In fact, I, I've read 
explanations for the resurrection very similar to that. Martin Luther King Jr., he actually preached that the resurrection was nothing but a symbol of God's power to raise people up out of oppression. And that's a lie. It's not symbolic. Jesus literally rose from the dead physically. But it's not uncommon for this to be difficult to understand. Even his disciples struggled and said, this is nonsense. Now, some of it is probably because in this culture, the witness of women was discounted oftentimes. But, but they knew and they trusted these women. They, they loved them. They had been walking as disciples together. So it's not just because the women told them. It's because when they heard of the resurrection, even though they had known Jesus, even though they had walked with him for three years, they had watched him feed thousands of people, cast out demons, raise others from the dead. When they were told that he himself had come back to life, nah, that doesn't make sense to me. How can this be? And so I, I want you to think about that. If, if you're struggling with the resurrection, if you're struggling with, with the power of Christ and the, the, the working of God to raise him up, don't think you're alone. Don't question your salvation. Don't think, well, I, I just struggle with this. This is such a, a hard thing for me to wrap my mind around. Welcome to faith. Welcome to what it is to be a believer. It doesn't always mean you go, oh yeah, amen, hallelujah. Sometimes you struggle. But there are things that we can do and experience to help us fully accept and realize the power of God in Christ Jesus as revealed by the resurrection. And so Luke is so faithful to us, he gives us Two more historical accounts of people interacting with the risen Christ and how that significantly affects their ability to move from unbelief and doubt to genuine belief and excitement over the resurrected Christ. So we're going to continue to look and I'm going to summarize a little bit. And then we'll highlight a couple of verses. Here, Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. Many of you, if you look in your Bible, you're going to say, oh, I'm familiar with this story. I know this one. This is where two disciples, two people two, uh, who had walked with Jesus, Cleopas and, and one other, they knew Jesus, they had followed him, and all of a sudden they're walking from where they're at in Jerusalem to a, a place called Emmaus. They're on the road. It's about a seven-mile walk. And another person shows up to walk with them. Well, where are you going? Emmaus? Sure. Come along. Let's go. And they spent time talking. And, and Jesus really kind of asked them, so, um, so what's going on? And, and uh, what do you guys know? And, you know, how's life? And, and they tell him, listen, we, we, we're going this way. But, you know, there was this guy, Jesus. We thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was a prophet. But now he's dead. Now he's buried. And, and they were discouraged, and, and they were really struggling. And, and then they tell Jesus, we actually know this third person is Jesus already. They tell him, not, not only are we struggling with this, but the women we were hanging out with, they've now told us that the tomb is empty and that he's come back to life. And none of this makes sense. None of this makes sense to us. And so Jesus speaks to them in verse 25. He says to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Listen, Cleopas, other disciple whose name we don't know. Guys, why are you struggling? Didn't scripture tell us this is what's going to happen? Didn't scripture lay out for us exactly what we needed to know so that when this transpired, we didn't struggle with doubt, but instead were able to believe? And Jesus doesn't just leave it. You guys should know everything about the law and the prophets and what it says about the Messiah. Instead, he begins to speak to them and says, it says that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, 
he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So this is about a seven-mile journey. I used to hike as a teenager. I don't hike as much anymore. I just park and then look at nice things and then, you know, leave again. But I used to do a lot of hiking, and, and there was this one trail. It was about eight miles, old rag. And when me and, and my friends, we would get on it, it'd take us about four hours. But, I mean, we were hiking fast because, you know, you wanted to, to, like, set a new record, and you wanted to make, make things happen. And, and so we'd go up. It was about a 3,500-foot uh, climb, and then back down the other side of the mountain and then walk down along a stream. And I just have to imagine about the same mileage, but we would really be hoofing it as teenagers. And so this journey to Emmaus, this seven-mile journey as Jesus is speaking to these two disciples, could have taken most of the day. I mean, can you imagine just walking with a friend and you're just trying to get where you're going, but not in any big hurry? And so this isn't Jesus took five minutes and gave him the four spiritual laws and said, now you know. But he genuinely took time to unfold the Old Testament before them and reveal himself to them through the Old Testament. Now what's interesting is in our day and age, in our Christian era, there are some who would tell us to unhitch our faith from the Old Testament, to ignore the Old Testament, to begin to treat it as a less than revelation from God. But what Jesus shows us is that from Genesis to Malachi, the Old Testament reveals to us the Messiah himself. And so if we really want to know Jesus, it doesn't say Jesus rehashed his own teachings. It doesn't say he went through them the last couple of years that they had been walking with him. It says he went to the Old Testament and he said, here's what scripture reveals about the Messiah. And so these two disciples get a master class from Jesus about what the Old Testament says concerning himself. Now, what's, what's interesting is even as he's teaching, they still think that Jesus is missing. Jesus is there teaching them, but they don't see him. They just see a fellow traveler who's teaching them and sharing with them from scriptures. And I, what an experience this must have been. We, where did this rabbi come from teaching us these amazing truths? Well, we find out where he came from and they discover who he is. As things begin to unfold, they get to Emmaus and Jesus uh, leads them to believe he's going on further, but they invite him to join them for the afternoon evening meal. And so they all begin to sit down together and Jesus prays and, and, and he breaks bread. And, and then what happens is their eyes are opened and they recognize him. And then he disappears. So they had this amazing experience where Jesus himself went through the whole Old Testament and said, here's where the Messiah is. Here's what's going to happen. Here's who he is. Here's what he's going to look like. And they don't recognize Jesus. But then they have this experience, this intimate experience with him of breaking bread and fellowship and relationship. And their eyes are open and they're just like, oh, it's Jesus. We know the truth. And now as we experience him, we understand who he is and we recognize him. Now, they have this opportunity after Jesus disappears to begin to talk to one another. And they say to each other, hey, I knew it was him the whole time, didn't you? I mean, I, I, I knew it was him. I'm, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road? And explaining the scriptures to us. Do, do, you, do you realize Jesus was teaching us about himself from scripture. What a blessing that was. I mean, I knew it was him the whole time. Didn't you? What we see in this, this story, this history of this journey from Emmaus, or from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and Jesus teaching these two disciples through the Old Testament, and then spending time with them in fellowship, and they, they finally recognize him, and they see him, and they accept him as the resurrected Christ, and they're excited. I knew it the whole time, didn't you? 
what we see is that this beautiful thing, knowledge and experience, leads them to the recognition of the Savior. The knowledge is the great teaching they received from Jesus as they walked. And this, this experience, this relationship, this sitting down together with the Messiah and sharing a meal, this woke them up and they recognized who he was. Now, it tells us they actually went back to the disciples in Jerusalem. So a journey that had taken much of the day, now all of a sudden, they're making that seven miles as fast as they can to get back to Jerusalem and tell the other disciples what they have experienced. And so in chapter 24, verses 36 through 48, we see this, that they... they, We're describing to the others. The others say Jesus has appeared to Peter already physically. So Peter's seen him like you did. And then as they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst. He said to them, peace to you. Now, if you have to remember that that word peace, it's not just, hey, guys, feel good. It is this pronouncement of let life be full and complete And may you genuinely be at rest in my midst. Because there is nothing lacking any longer. I'm here. Peace to you. They were startled and terrified. They they know that, that these other two disciples have already seen Jesus. They know that Peter has physically seen Jesus. And now he shows up in their midst. And what do they say? It's a ghost! Oh no! All of a sudden, we're in an episode of Scooby-Doo, you know, and, and there's a ghost, and we got to figure out, you know, what's going on? And Jesus, he says to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your heart? Look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see that I have. So they have this experience with Jesus. They have this moment with him of seeing his his resurrected body, of being able to see the the scars, the the wounds, the the flesh right before them that, that just a couple of days previous had been hanging on a cross and that they'd taken down and wrapped in linen and anointed with oil and spices and then put into a tomb. Here was that same body but different and new. And Jesus says, I want you to experience me. I want you to touch me. I want you to know that I'm alive. And, 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 and then it says, uh, while they were still amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, he said to them, do you have anything to eat? Now, that's not something you'd expect the Messiah to come in and say, right? But here he is. He's like, hey, got anything to eat? Now, I don't think Jesus was hungry. He wasn't lacking in nourishment. He was taking one more step to show them, I'm alive. I'm right here before you. He wanted them to fully experience his presence. So do you have anything to eat? So they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and he took it and ate in their presence. He wants them to see, I'm alive, it's true, it's real. Cast off your disbelief and know that I am resurrected. So he eats a little bit there in their presence. And then after eating, he begins to do something else. He he told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So first we see Jesus with the other disciples, these two who are walking to Emmaus. He says to them, here's what scripture says. And then they have this experience and they recognize him for who he is, the risen Messiah. And then this next encounter, Jesus walks in with the disciples, appears in their midst, and they touch him, and he eats in front of them. And then he begins to teach them once again about the importance of the Old Testament. 
about the importance of being able to look all throughout Scripture and to see Him from Genesis to Malachi. To know that everything written in those words, written in those books, was fulfilled in His life and death and resurrection. Jesus pointed back to the Scriptures and said, These are about me. And when we're talking about the scriptures, we're not talking about Matthew through Revelation. These have not yet been written. Instead, we're talking about just the Old Testament. And then it, it says this about what happens next. And, and I think this is just so, so beautiful and so cool because it tells us, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Here's the risen Christ. Here is the Messiah who is back to life. And what is his priority? First, I'm alive. Touch me, watch me eat. And now, I want you to see me in Scripture. I want you to be able to go through the whole Old Testament. And I want you to understand that I'm there from Genesis 1 to the end of Malachi. That you can see me, your Messiah, from the very beginning until the very end of the scriptures that we've received. And it, it, it's so cool that he opened their minds to understand. His desire was not just for them to experience him, but also to have the full knowledge who he was as revealed in the Old Testament. So here we kind of flip it around. It was knowledge and experience brought two disciples to the recognition of a Savior. And now experience touching him and watching him eat. And knowledge, this revelation of who he is in the Old Testament. It brings them to the, the, the truth, the reality. This is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. The one we've been waiting for. The Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. This is the only true God. And we can see Him before us as He eats and all throughout Scripture. He has been the one we've been waiting for. And He's finally here. He's real, guys. He's real. How cool is that? For you and I, we should look at these two encounters with the risen Christ and we celebrate his resurrection and we celebrate his power and we celebrate what he did for us on the cross. But we should also understand that to grow as believers, to really get what it means to be Christians, we should be both experiencing Christ and knowing more about him experiencing Him in, in, in things like worship and fellowship, but also knowing more about Him in study and growth and able to look in the whole counsel of God, the whole Bible, from Genesis to Malachi and then Matthew to Revelation and see Jesus, our Christ, real and recognized all throughout. The thing is, that some of us as Christians, or some of us as people who are on the path to believers, we focus on, being a believer, we focus on one of these two things, experience or knowledge. So what's experience? Well, a lot of us, we chase after things like worship experiences or prayer you know, experiences. We love the community. Maybe we've been baptized or we partake of communion. And these are all good things. But these are just one half of what it is to realize the fullness of Jesus Christ. These are just the beginning of, ex of, of really knowing Him and recognizing Him as your Savior. All of these are good things, but if your faith walk is comprised of only these things, you are not going to find that joy, that aha moment, that excitement that you long for. Instead, you will continue to chase experiences. But then there are others of us, and, and this is probably me more so. I, I am not a big experience guy. I don't want to feel things. Emotions are icky. But I love 
facts. And I love to know more about Jesus. And I love to know more about the Bible and about the history. And so I'm all into Bible reading and Bible study and, and devotions and Sunday Bible school. I'm just, all of these things excite me. And so some of us, our whole Christian life has been summed up in just knowledge. And we want to just know more about Jesus, but we don't ever want to know him experientially. And so when we look at these two stories of interacting with the risen Christ and experiencing the fullness of his power and presence, they are both centered around both relationship with him and growing in our knowledge of him throughout scripture. And so if you as a believer are heavy on one side or the other, the challenge is to get to know the fullness of the resurrected Christ. To not be stuck in, well, I want to feel you, I want to feel you, I want to feel you. Here's some doctrine, here's some facts. Oh no, not into that. Or not not so stuck in, I want to know everything about you. Here, I want to make you cry. Oh no, no Jesus, we don't cry. You you get it? I mean, mean, we, we will be stunted believers. We will be struggling much like the disciples that hearing the story, Jesus is resurrected. Oh, that's, that's, I can't believe that. That, that is nonsensical to me. And what resolves the nonsense is when we experience him in worship and communion and community and baptism. And when we grow in our knowledge of him through study and devotionals and things like Sunday Bible school and communal studies. And I want to let you know, the hope is over the next few weeks and months, all of us will have the opportunity to both experience Christ and grow in our knowledge of him as we begin a new series called Glory and Redemption. And we're going to go through all of the Old Testament stories, all of the big ones, and try and help you see Jesus because he's been there from the very beginning. And the story of the Bible from beginning to end is one of his glory and his redemptive love for everyone, especially those who would believe on him as Lord and Savior. And so today, the the, the real challenge is, who are you? Are are you consumed with experience? Are you consumed with knowledge? I got to tell you, if you want to grow in your faith, you're going to need both. You need to pursue the fullness of the resurrected Christ. Always centered around this one truth that he shared at the end. He also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. He didn't die just to hang out with us or to teach us neat things about the Old Testament. It is to fulfill the truth and the prophecies that are contained in that great scripture, but also to purchase for us the forgiveness of sin. He says, I'm going to suffer and rise from the dead the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name, in my name, to all the nations. This morning, the first thing you need to understand about relationship with God through Christ Jesus is it begins with the repentance for forgiveness of sins. You can believe he was a good man. You can maybe even believe in his resurrection. But if you never come to a personal place where you say, I am a sinner separated from a loving God because of my rebellion against him. And I believe that Jesus, God's only begotten son, died on the cross, suffered and rose from the dead on the third day so that I might be saved from my sins. And I repent of them. Repentance means what? To turn away from the way you used to live and do things toward Christ's way of living and doing things. 
This is the good news that the cross preaches. This is the good news that will save us. This is the beginning of relationship with God through Christ Jesus. And then experience and knowledge will only bring you closer and closer to God as you mature as a believer. So this morning, uh, while knowledge and experience are where we're going, today I want to say, where are you when it comes to relationship with God through Jesus Christ? We have a really simple outline, a really simple metric to remember this story of salvation. It is first that God created all of us. God created the world from nothing. He spoke it into existence and then he came down in the dirt and he shaped man and breathed life into him. God creates us. The psalmist says that he knits us together in our mother's womb. A beautiful picture of how he is still intimately involved in the shaping of each of us. But this creation by God, this shaping by a loving creator, with it comes a responsibility to walk in obedience. To walk in submission to the God who deserves it. We see it first in our forebears in scripture the earliest of humans, Adam and Eve, but then we see it in ourselves as well. For Adam and Eve, there was a tree that had a fruit. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, don't eat it. They rebelled against him and earned his wrath. They no longer could walk in fellowship like he desired and created them for because they rebelled against God. Now, none of us have eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And all of us, by sinning, by rebelling against God, all of us have earned for ourselves wrath and judgment. And the judgment of God upon sinful mankind is eternal death. We describe it, or we, 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 we are given in Scripture a couple of names for it. Hell, lake of fire. Neither of them are places you want to go on your next vacation. Right? We were made by a loving God. We have rebelled and earned wrath and judgment. But God loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the one spoken of from Genesis to Malachi, a promised redeemer who would rescue mankind from their sinful rebellion and give them a way to be at peace with God. And Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, fully God, fully man, and then died on the cross as the substitute for you, paying the price by his death for your sins and mine. And to prove it's all true, to prove he really is the Christ, the Son of God, that he can bring forgiveness and make peace with God on your behalf. He was raised from the dead on the third day to prove it's all true. And then we're told that anyone who believes on him, anyone who believes on him as Lord and Savior, can be saved from their rebellion, can be renewed in their relationship with God, can escape the wrath and judgment of God and be given brand new life here, now, and forevermore. But there's a little bit of a catch. This just doesn't happen automatically. All of us must make a choice whether we will turn our lives over to Jesus, this one that we watched die And suffer on our behalf and and then saw him resurrected and know that he cares about us being in relationship with him and knowing more about him. We must make a choice about what to do with this Jesus. We will either accept him as our Lord and Savior and turn our life over to him. Trusting in forgiveness of sin and new life now and forevermore. Or we will reject him. Either by actively rejected in him or simply leaving him sitting there and never answering whether or not we accept him. Both by active rejection and inaction, you remain in your lost and damned state. 
And so this morning, the challenge begins with, will you repent and believe? Will you turn away from your old way of life? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and come to Him for the forgiveness of your sins and the renewal of your life? Will you repent and believe? And then for those of you who have already repented and believed, or you make that profession to repent and believe today, begin to grow in your experience of Christ. I want to tell you, if you're struggling to believe that the resurrection is true and you only attend church once or whenever, that's why. If you're struggling to see how Jesus is active and can be real and meaningful in your life and church is just an empty duty and not a relationship with God Almighty, that's why your faith feels distant and frail. So grow in your experiences in Christ. If you've never been baptized, get baptized. If you don't like communion, learn how to love it. If you don't like singing so much, well, do it anyway. Not for you, but for Jesus. Learn to experience Him and turn yourself over to Him. Maybe even a couple of you guys might cry between now and Christmas, right? And then... Grow in your knowledge of Christ. If your knowledge of Christ ends with the fact that He rose from the dead and died for your sins, you don't know all there is to know about Jesus. We, we've already heard this morning, Jesus Himself went through the whole Old Testament. The whole Old Testament. So if you can't, you don't know how to see Him or where to see Him in Proverbs or Hosea, or Isaiah, or Kings, or Chronicles, or Ruth, or Esther, you don't know where he is in those books, you have lots to learn of him. And so the challenge for all of us, first, repent and believe. If you have never repented and believed on Christ as your Lord and Savior today, you are destined for a life, an eternal life of judgment and wrath. Once you have repented and believed, once you understand salvation, it's time to grow up in both your experience of Him and your knowledge of Him. And so today, not going to make you sign anything, not going to make you raise your hand or stand up, but the request would be if you have repented and believed, now it's time to commit yourself to faithfully experiencing Christ through the things of the church, and also to grow in your knowledge of Christ by sitting under faithful teaching that will help you see Him from Genesis 1 to Malachi and Matthew to Revelation. And the prayer for all of us would be that it would be for us over the coming weeks and months and years as it was for the disciples that day as they sat under the teaching of Jesus. That our minds might be opened to understand the scriptures and to genuinely see the Christ, the risen Messiah, for all that he is. And so this morning, I want to ask you, if you've never made a profession of faith, you've never repented and believed, but you would like to, talk to someone that you know is a believer. Talk to someone you trust as a faithful Christian and say, what, need, what do I need to do to be saved? What do I need to do to repent and believe? How do I do what Michael was talking about? And then others of you, I, I almost beg you, but you know, that just kind of comes off cheesy in a way. Please, dive into church. Dive into experiencing Christ in every way. Stop allowing your faith to be a second or third level thing in your life and put Christ first. Put him first by longing to experience him and taking every opportunity. Put him first by learning more about him in scripture. And then the fullness of who he is will be revealed to you. And he will become even more real to you than he's ever been. Lord, would you open our minds to understand you and to grow in you. Join me in a word of prayer as our worship team comes up and closes us out this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he was sent by you 
to live a perfect sinless life, to die on the cross for our sins, to rise again on the third day, and to be Lord and King forevermore. This was not an accident. This was not something you made up on the fly, but we can read throughout your word, Genesis to Malachi, that this was always the plan. To redeem the rebels, to bring back the ones who stood up against you and said, no, I'll do it my own way. We are so thankful, so thankful that you loved us enough to send Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness, your submission to the will of the Father, your death on the cross and your resurrection. We submit to you today. Help us to be passionate about experiencing you more and knowing more about you. And so, we might know the reality of you, that we might recognize you for who you are and grow up to look more like you. It's in your name that we pray this morning, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll sing. If you need to talk to somebody about repentance and belief, do so either now during the song or as our service closes up a little bit further here in the next few moments. But let's sing together. I saw the light, I saw the light, no more in darkness, no more in night, now I'm so happy with sorrow inside.
Sunday Bible School back in order next week at 9.37 as well as our Sunday service. Now, invite, what's that? Oh, Chosen is Tuesday night at 6.30? 6. At 6. So Chosen, 6 o'clock. Uh, Tuesday night. So that's for up uh, grades 4 through 6. So I want to invite everybody down to the Easter egg pickup if you would like to come down. Uh, up to 12th grade, you guys will be able to participate. Uh, so head down there, and if you need to, we've got bags and stuff. Do not begin until we're down there and announce the start. So just a couple of minutes, and we'll try and get started. Those of you who sent your kids to Kids Church, you can go down the stairs, and they are in the large classroom down there, and you can just take them straight outside. So we'll see you guys for the egg pickup here in a second. Uh-huh. 